You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast featuring some of Indiana's most fascinating men and women whose impact has shaped our state, our communities, and us. Join us as we discuss their imprint on our history. Leaders and Legends is brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated, your local veteran business enterprise specializing in public relations, media relations, public outreach, crisis communications, and digital photography. My name is Robert Bain, Principal of Veteran Strategies, former Deputy Chief of Staff to Mayor Greg Ballard, and Communications Director for the Indiana Republican Party. I'm honored to be your host for our discussion. Thank you, everyone, for joining Leaders and Legends today. We are with a true legend of the Indianapolis uh, sports community and media community, Bill Benner, a sports writer for The Star over about five decades almost. Well, uh, between The Star and the Indianapolis Business Journal, 45 years of covering sports in Indy. Also uh, inside Indiana business. Yep, still. And one of the absolute best guys you'll ever meet, frequent lunch partner, and um, as I told him one time, um, I used to read all your columns and go, why did you hate Bobby Knight? <laughs> Just like I'd read Mark Allen's columns in the star and go, why do you hate Van Halen? Uh, but once you sit down and talk to him, I'm telling you, you're going to enjoy the next 40, 45 minutes with Bill. Bill, thank you for joining us. You bet. Glad, glad to be here. And, uh, I hope I haven't dumbed down the term legend just by. Oh, absolutely by, not. You're, I, and I'll say this, you are absolutely, um, since we're on the record, one of the most liked people I've ever met. Well, thank you. Thank I cannot you. tell you the number of people who, when I say I'm having lunch with Bill Benner or had lunch with Bill Benner, like, ooh, I bet that was fun. Well, I'm blessed uh, just to have been in this town and for a long time. And I, I've had a number of, you know, funny thing, after I left the Star and then it was Sports Corp, Visit Indy, Horizon League, and now uh, Pacers, uh, that enables you to really broaden your circles. And so I've uh, I've been fortunate to have so many contacts and relationships with people over the years. It's, uh, it's been wonderful. Is it, is it more fun to look back on all the things that you've written about and all the people you've met than to look back and go, wow, where'd the time go? Like when you look back at the breadth of what you've done and the depth of it, you're just like, what a great life. It has been a great life. And I had so many incredible experiences when I was with the Indianapolis Star. Uh, you know, at a very young age, I was I got to be the beat writer for the Pacers uh, the year in 1974 when they moved into Market Square Arena. You know, and later as a columnist, I, you know, I covered three Olympic games, two Pan American games, got to travel the world, got to see and do incredible things around all around the country. Uh, and so, yeah, I kind of look back at that and go, where did the time go? But at the same time, uh, it's been just this incredible, incredible journey filled with uh, experiences, uh, watching remarkable people do remarkable things and then to try and capsulize that in 750 or a thousand words the next day in the Indianapolis star. After I left the star, the uh, Indianapolis business journal was gracious enough to allow me to keep continue offering perspectives on sports. And, and I did that until 2013 when I, when I joined Pacers sports entertainment. So to have that kind of perspective to watch how all this has evolved because I've always had, you know, I grew up in, uh, <laughs> I grew up in what's now Lily the first five years of my life on, on uh, Southeast Street. And then we moved to the country, Center Grove. <clears throat> but I was always an indie guy, uh, always loved Indianapolis and everything about it. 
But I shared the inferiority complex, you know, that we that we richly deserve. <laughs> and you graduated from Center Grove in 67. 67. 67. Then immediately went to IU. Well, you know, this is where a... a or you were in the military. Well, what happened? A couple things. Uh, this is where a hurdle uh, turned into an opportunity. Coming out of Center Grove, uh, we were... We did not have money, and so I, I was going to have to work my way through college. And what was then the IU Extension, now IUPUI, the IU Extension was three little uh, repurposed office buildings uh, over at one on North Meridian and one on Michigan Street in Delaware and the other one on Delaware across the street uh, on Michigan. And, and and so I had to go to IU, the IU Extension to begin my career, but... I got a job at the Indianapolis Star answering the score phones, 633-1200. Way before you had computers and everything that you could instantly find a score, and people <laughs> called this number to find out scores and have bets settled. But that got me, that got my foot in the door at the Indianapolis Star. And so after a year of being a score boy, I went to, I then got to know Bob Collins and Bob Williams and Harrison Howard and Simon McBride and John Banch, all the legends that I'd grown up reading. Right. And uh, I, I had enough moxie to say, I want to do what you guys do. And uh, at the time, it would be an intern now, but uh, Simon McBride said, well, you can come work for us in the summertime. One of the previous interns was Jeff Smoyan. Really? Jeff Smoyan of MS Broadcasting. Many years later, uh, when Jeff bought the Seattle Mariners, I wrote in a column the next day, Jeff Smoyan and I started out together. I only wish we didn't end up that way. <laughs> so I didn't know that about him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I did this, again, internship. Uh, that would be today's term. And uh, I just stayed. And later that summer of 1968... They gave me an opportunity to go write a story, and it turned out okay, and they published it in the Star the next day. And I, then I just stayed in the sports department, and I got to do more and more and more. I saved up enough money. I got to Bloomington my junior year, finally, and uh, and left in 1971 and would have uh, had a, I had a job waiting on me, but I had a low lottery number, so I had to go play Army for a little bit in the reserves. It was not heavy lifting. In fact, I ended up at Fort Benjamin Harrison. They were teaching me journalism. That yeah, because we went to the same. I was at Fort Ben yeah, Harrison yeah, when Dimpos. I was in the military. Dimpos, yeah, Dimpos, yeah. yeah. Defense Information School. So you got there when Knight got there. Uh, I was covering the. I was covering. Did you work at the IDS? <clears throat> yes, but this was Indiana pre, Daily. This student. was pre Knight. Knight came the year, the next year, seventy two. Yeah, Lou Watson was the coach at, at IU. So Knight came the next year, and. Do we want to do the whole Bob Knight thing? You want well, we can't eventually. We don't but, have but we don't 45 want you, minutes. We don't want you to get in a bad mood so soon into the uh, podcast. <laughs> what was it like covering sports then as opposed to at the end of your career? I know you were a re reporter and then you ended up a columnist, right. but is technology the biggest difference oh, over yes. the breadth of your career? Is it players' attitudes, people's attitude towards the media? Just kind of talk to me a little bit about changes. Well, I... I I've been saying I, we all thought that sports would, especially professional sports, would eventually implode, fall on itself because of the cost. And I've been. How can you possibly pay this guy two hundred thousand dollars? How can you possibly pay when George McGinnis signed a contract for a hundred grand or whatever it was? 
How can you possibly or, pay or, this guy's that kind of money? Or Namath. Remember, he did the yeah. $407,000 contract in the late to mid-60s, and everyone thought it was yeah. the end of the world. So I've, I've, been, I've been waiting for the world of, of sports and the, the professional <laughs> and commercial aspects of it to implode. It never has. It's, it just keeps, it's, just keeps going. Uh, of course, how much did you pay for a ticket to the Pacers game in 1968? As it was my Van Halen uh, ticket that I posted on Facebook, I think for their concert in 79, I think it was seven twenty five or seven dollars and 50 cents. But yeah, I mean, um, so the attention that sports gets uh, has never abated at all. It's only continued to build on itself and and still uh, continues to this the explosion day. of women's sports too no quite title nine was mm-hmm. uh, has has had a huge birch impact. by birch by mm-hmm. no question about it um so you know I, but i was also fortunate robert because i got as indianapolis grasped this thing called the amateur sports capital and you know the sports initiative uh, i was fortunate enough to write about things that were taking place, the formation of the sports corp, the attraction of national governing bodies, the investment in infrastructure, Market Square Arena. Again, I was the beat writer for the Pacers when they built Market Square Arena. That was not without controversy when Dick Luger and my current associate, Jim Morris, decided to uh, divert federal revenue sharing funds to, to help defray the cost of Market Square Arena. People Wait, just like now. Mm-hmm. Hey, we got potholes. We got to mm-hmm. plow the streets. We got to pick up the trash. What are you doing mm-hmm. building this sports palace? Mm-hmm. But it was it was the first domino. It was the catalyst for everything that would come thereafter. The Pacers are hugely popular, playing in the Fairgrounds Coliseum, winning championships. Uh, they brought a hockey team along with it, and I've always like to tell people, oh yeah, that guy named Wayne Gretzky, mm-hmm. he scored his first professional <laughs> goal as a member of the Indianapolis Racers, and I that's right, I w- was fortunate. But concerts, uh, where did you first see Van Halen? Was well, it- I was in the military, oh, so okay. I saw it at El Paso. Did you see but, him at Market Square. Uh, by the time I saw him, they had moved to the okay. Field House, but but obviously the Elvis concert yeah, yeah, is, yeah. I- is iconic. And you had told me something. You were the one who told me this, and I'd never heard it before that. Market Square Arena was built seventy four. Seventy four, and they wanted to build it in Pike, the northwest part of town. Talk about that a little bit. Well, yeah, you're talking they, about a complete game changer. We, oh, no question. They were they were talking about near Lafayette Square, off of I sixty five, near Lafayette Square was one of the proposed locations for an, an arena. But Dick Luger, uh, from his view in the twenty fifth floor of the city county building, uh, did not look like looking out and seeing nothing, especially after the sun went down. And, and again, Indy at that time uh, was Indian no place. We had the Indianapolis 500-mile race. We had the Pacers playing the, at the Fairgrounds Coliseum. But the ABA was not considered but the, the ABA of the was, NBA. Yeah, I mean, when the NBA has Chamberlain we, and Morris, or excuse me, Morris yeah. and, and, and Russell and we, Robertson. We love the ABA. We love the Pacers because it gave us kind of that, you know, it gave us a, a foothold. We we can be big time in something. NIU but, was in a down cycle in the '60s, um, clearly. In clearly, basketball, yeah, in basketball. So yeah, so the uh, the the migration of people. There was nothing to do. There were no restaurants, Robert. It was yeah. it was a just a it was a boring, dull place. I've, I've told my kids, you know, who who are eighteen and and fifteen, but but we even when we didn't live downtown, which is where we currently live. 
I never went downtown when I was a kid except to see Dick the Bruiser. That was the only time I ever went downtown as a kid. There was nothing to eat. There was no place to stay. I mean, you could... You can well, only go to the top of the circle in the city county buildings or Ayers. Times. You go look at the Christmas windows at Ayers. And, That's right. Or maybe to the tea room. But, but as far as like no. an attraction, an no. event. And then, you know, it was just a couple of weeks ago for the, uh, and I'm making a temporal connection to this recording, but when um, the Big Ten Championship, football championship was here and Mike Greenberg tweeted, yeah. the ESPN sports host, Indy is the best big game town in the country. Right. Now that's unfathomable to people like Jim Morris or like a P.E. McAllister or like uh, other people who've been around since the beginning, if you'd have told them ever many years ago. So when you tell me, when we talk about looking back and, and where I am now, I do I do look back with a great sense of pride and the fact that I got to live it and experience it along, along with many, many others. Uh, but it's it's staggering when you think about it. I mean, when we did the Super Bowl, we did it so well and so uniquely, uh, indie style, that the NFL said, oh, do all future cities? You're going to have to do it like they did it. That's right. Uh, we and- talked about that with Mayor Ballard on a, on a previous podcast. And then, you know, we we could have spent 40 minutes talking about how great Allison Malangan is. Yeah. And obviously Mark Miles, too. But but it was not just them. It was the whole community. There was no Republican. There was no Democrat. Everybody wanted to show off Indianapolis so, in a way that had never been done before. So I was the I was the co-chair of the Media Relations Committee. Uh, as we ramped up toward the – to actually staging the game that month before. Well, I was working for the Horizon League. I was working for my, my good friend, Commissioner John LeCron at the Horizon League. That became a full that became a full time mm. job, and there were, but so it became my full time volunteer job for about four or five weeks, right in the middle of basketball season when there was lots of stuff going on with my day job. But John said it's for the good of the city. Go you, go do it. Uh, and there were so many employers that did the same thing. Here's our greatest resource: our people. Take them, use them, uh, and let them thrive and help showcase our city and we did it if you had to name a uh no coaches hmm. mount rushmore oh, of boy. aba era pacers oh who would you name well roger brown george mcginnis uh slick Can, no coaches no coaches sorry all right roger brown uh, uh freddie lewis would have to be on there mel daniels and mel daniels there you go those four those four no Nettalicky? No. <laughs> what about uh, the bar? Close, huh? <laughs> what about oh, the yeah. restaurant or that? That's interesting. He seems Nettles to be just in the as, meadows. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he seems to be just as friendly, famous for that. What was it like? Talk about, you, you've said this before at our lunches, dealing with the players and like walking in the locker room back then. People were smoking. Well, what, a, was, what was the atmosphere? It was so, so much more relaxed. So there's a famous picture of me at Market Square Arena on the press row. It's a, actually a picture of Slick Leonard. Uh, but I'm in the background and I'm dragging on a cigarette. And so people bring this up all, yeah, yeah, I've seen that picture of you smoking a cigarette on Market Square Arena. And I said, yeah, well, you know what? You go in the locker room afterward and it'd be a cloud because <laughs> all the players would be smoking as well. It was just a, uh, there are no Victor Oladipo's types them you know <laughs> totally totally into nutrition uh the absolute mcginnis was just strong just george because- mcginnis 
you know, I got to see him for the first time covering high schools when he was still in Washington. Uh, in Washington, Washington. High School. Mm-hmm. Oh, my Lord. Um, but, yeah, George McGinnis never lifted the weight uh, and was an absolute Adonis. And he's still then and now a wonderful, wonderful guy. Did you ever get into a scrape? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm I, not talking to you, or how can you ask me that question, or you never sure, played the game, sure, that kind of stuff. Yeah. How did you handle it? And was it ever legitimate? Do you ever think, yeah, yeah, you know no, what, were, I've never been there Robert, with tenths of a second left to go trying to shoot free throws to no win? No question. There there are any number of times when I um, picked up the paper the next day and went, boy, that was harsh. <laughs> and that was probably unfair. As uh, a reporter or as a columnist or both? Both, both. Slick and I, Slick and I, uh, we had our moments. Uh, he didn't think I was pro professional sports, and there was something to that. Again, I was, while I was covering it, I was still thinking that you know how again how much they they paid this money. They were raising ticket prices. They moved into the new arena. Uh, they had real monetary issues, and I was thinking you can't foist all this off in the public. There's got to be some responsibility among ownership and. Slick, uh, uh, Slick is a loyal guy, and Slick took it personally when there was criticism, and he let me know it, and he he let me know it in a public forum too. Really, Billy, you're either for me or against me. You choose. <laughs> it's, we'll get to we'll get to Bobby Knight telling you that same thing. Uh, we're here. Uh, you're listening to Leaders and Legends. Uh, Robert Vane is your host. We're here with Bill Benner, a longtime uh, sports figure and community figure here in Indianapolis. Um, how tough was it, and did you ever – I'm a Miami Dolphins fan, and uh, so all of the – you know, Dolphins had another horrid year, and I have sent one play against New England. So these sports writers are calling for people to be fired. How difficult was it for you to say, they got to get rid of George Irvin, they got to get rid of Slick Leonard, they got to get rid of Jim O'Brien, or, or just, the, just just anyone? Um, or, you know, or the Colts coach or the Racers coach. Or, yeah, I mean – Criticism goes with the deal, and criticism and judgment goes with the deal. I will be candid with you as I got later into my career and as I got ready to leave the newspaper, uh, the cynicism and the skepticism that I exhibited became part of my life, my personality. I didn't necessarily like being me, and I certainly didn't like uh, some of the things that I felt was my duty to write. That said, I don't think I was ever... um, Did you ever write, so-and-so should be fired? It's time to move on. Yeah. Bob Knight, for starters. Uh, I thought that I always said that was I was more concerned with not what he was doing for the university, but what he was doing to the university. And being a Bob Knight critic at that time, uh, especially early on, I kind of got on the other side of that fence early on when he was still uh, winning championships and and being Bob Knight. And, you know, but – in all fairness, and I've said this to you, if I had to pick one coach to win one game with, especially with sub, with inferior talent, it would be Bob Knight. So let me, I, let me I never you. saw a guy get more out of his guys than he did. Were you in the Omni in 84 yes, I when IU yes, beat I North was. Carolina with yes, Jordan? I was. Yes. What was it like to cover? I remember watching it on TV, obviously. What was it like to cover for people who – are not necessarily huge sports fans. 1984, I think it was Sweet 16. Yep. IU plays North Carolina. Uh, North Carolina Jordan, had four first-round draft Perkins. picks on their team. <laughs> yeah. And IU's only first-round draft pick on that team was a fellow named Uwe Blop. Yeah. 
and North Carolina was consensus number one team in the country. They had this amazing talent. IU was in kind of a rebuilding year after the glory of the early 80s. And Knight came up with some way to defeat Dean Smith again just three years after beating him for the national championship in 1981. So with that kind of preface, what was – can you remember enough about that game and what you wrote and what you were feeling? Yeah, I mean it was was, – well, A, it was on deadline, so that's always a panic situation. But it was stunning. I mean it was – Nobody outside of the Indiana locker room, including the the media, would, would have given Indiana a chance. Um, but, you know, we've talked about Dan Dockich holding down Michael Jordan, and Indiana played the perfect game. And Steve Alford was great, and Bop. I mean, there was it was a team beating, not and not to take anything away from Dean Smith. I got to know and really admire uh, Dean Smith. Uh, but Knight just... That was a night win, an essential, just the essence of a night win. Uh, and then the next day, the yeah. between day, no, 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 there was a between day. Right, right. Knight gave one of the best media sessions ever. I mean, he was, he was, he was Bob Knight when he could really open up and share and be the historian and be the really smart guy that he is. Uh, he was just amazing. And then, of course, they lost to Virginia in the next next game. The other essence, essence of night victory that I covered, and there were many, but the other one that comes to mind was when Indiana beat UNLV, UNLV. in New Orleans <laughs> in, in in 87. That's the better game of the Syracuse-UNLV I mean, they triumvirate. And again, you know uh, Indiana had a, had a good team. I mean, don't I'm not taking anything away from it. They were number one seed. They were co Just on talent. I mean, you look at UNLV and go, oh, my God. Stacy Ogman, Larry Johnson, all those guys. And, and how could Indiana possibly stay with them? And Indiana beat them at their own game. Indiana. He was smart. His night's point was if I tried to, if I tried to slow the game yeah. down in the 60s or 70s, they're going to score 90 and we're going to score yeah. 60. They beat them at their own game. Yeah, it was 97 so, 93 was the, the final score. But the night there. before, I, you know, I, have, I was down there with a, a lot of my Indiana friends, and uh, we were at Bourbon Street at a you know, place 2 30 or 3. <laughs> and all of a sudden, we look up and kind of weaving down the street arm in arm, aren't their arms wrapped around each other? are Lefty Drizel and Jerry Tarkanian. And I turned to my buddies and I said, I have a feeling that if Coach Knight is up right now, he's looking at game films, but he's not weaving down Bourbon Street, advantage Indiana. (laughs) (laughs) When Smart, are you, so you're covering the game when Smart hits the shot. So you're an IU grad, proud IU alum. Yeah. Are you rooting? Because uh, you were a columnist by then, so I mentioned there's some leeway as opposed to just being a reporter. I always uh, it makes for a better story when the home team wins. Always makes for a better story when the home team wins, and so I root for a good. I rooted for a good story. I always rooted for a good story. Give me a good. And, and it but it did it matter? And it doesn't get any better than Keith Smart hit the last second shot to beat Syracuse. <laughs> but did it matter to you? That it went in or not, personally, uh, it wouldn't have it would it wouldn't have made my day. It wouldn't have ruined my day. It would have been a story that I had to write on deadline, and that's what you think about. Did you ever root against a team you were covering? No. Not a hometown team, obviously, but 
IU plays Kentucky. Well, you know, I cover, <laughs> I cover a lot of Indiana Purdue games, and and so I would again I would root for a, for a good story, uh, which there usually but, were. Uh, and I had a great relationship with Katie, and by that time my relationship with Knight had deteriorated. Uh, but you, you, again, you you root for a you root for a good column. That's what you root for. And you you've told me in in at lunch and other conversations about the deterioration of this uh, relationship. Is it just a simple a matter of you're there to do a job? Yep. Everybody comes, everybody, everybody. So tell a story if you want. Well, it, it, let me just say this. Everybody uh, uh, covering Indiana would come to the crossroads sooner or later. Even Bob Hamill, uh, who's fabled mm-hmm. Herald Telephone sports columnist and Bloomington. Close, mm-hmm. close personal friend for, with Bob Knight. Uh, but everybody, every journalist would come to the crossroads. When I came to the crossroads, I chose not to go that way. Collins had a great, or uh, excuse me, Knight had a great relationship with Bob Collins, the legendary sports columnist that I eventually succeeded when Bob's uh, health deteriorated. Um, and Knight would often call Collins to trying to get Collins to bring Benner in line. <laughs> and what 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 and time frame are we talking about oh, here? We're Early talking. 80s? Uh, uh, Mid eighties to early nineties, yeah. You finally had just seen enough, yeah, and be like, "Look, it's not worth it." I mean, shoving the LSU guy in the trash can, and well, how did we know he didn't deserve it? Well, you know, I just, I got, to, you know, just, I just became weary of covering the non basketball stuff. Um, could have I, could I, I have done that better? Um, absolutely. I'm assuming you read a season on the brink. Sure. What did you think when you read it? I read it so many times back when it first came out because I'm on the plane coming back and forth from the military. And so I'm reading it like crazy. As a matter of fact, uh, very quickly, I was reading it in the airport one day and this tall, uh, (laughs) rather handsome black guy walked by and I looked up and I go, I just got done reading about you. And Michael Jordan looked back at me and goes, I haven't read that book yet. Is it any good? I'm like, it's really good. And you play a part in it. And he goes, he goes, I'll definitely have to pick it up. He was five feet away from me, just walking through the old Indianapolis airport. That'll, that's a time warp right there. John Feinstein did a hell of a job. It was a great, and it was one of the first kind of inside tell-all books. And uh, I admired John's moxie for not pulling any punches and, and writing and reporting what he saw and experienced. I mean, it was, it was a hell of a book. Did you learn anything? Or you're like, no, no this is all the stuff I kind of already. I didn't really feel like I was enlightened to that great of an extent. There was a part of the book where it talks about a news conference and this is the weeds, but I've always found it interesting where Knight is, is, is teasing a, a, a former colleague of yours named Phil Richards. Mm, great guy. Feinstein says in the book that Knight liked to Phil Richards. So is that something that you guys, that you like tease him, Mr. No. Richards about that? No, or, or did he come to the crossword roads that you discussed and Phil, say, I'm going a different direction. Phil Richards is a one of the most likable guys you'd ever want to meet. B, he's one of the best wordsmiths. In fact, from my time uh, when I would go up to South Bend covering Notre Dame, uh, I you know you read the the local papers, the South Bend Tribune, and I very humbly submit that I was the guy who came back to Indianapolis and said, "We got to hire Phil Richards. He was that good, and is that good, and was a tremendous writer throughout." Uh, his career so he was covering indiana as the beat writer when i was covering indiana as a a columnist so we'll do it we'll head back we're back with um talking to bill benner 
Leaders and Legends, presented by Veteran Strategies. Mount Rushmore of the <laughs> IU players you covered, basketball. Oh. Alford? Uh, of the ones I covered. Boy, that's – how do you whittle it so out? So 70s, that? 80s, 90s, basically. Alford. Um Buckner, not because he was the best player, but because he I've never seen a leader like Buckner. Um, Your colleague these days. Calvert Cheney. Mm-hmm. Uh, boy, I'd like to put Mike Woodson on there. You going to leave off Isaiah Thomas? But Isaiah was only there a year. He was there two years. Uh, two years, okay. Two he did years, accomplish right. something uh, while he was yeah, there. Yeah, I know. He won the national championship. In terms of athleticism and talent, sheer talent, yeah, you got to put Isaiah on there. But what about... Scotty May, you know? That's why it's difficult. Scotty May. <laughs> it's, it's really, how about Ray Tolbert, Landon Turner, and, and that group? I'll tell you, that, that, that was a night let that team finally loose. The, the 80, 81 team. The 81 team. Finally let them loose. And I covered the regional in Dayton where they opened up with Maryland. And Maryland again had a, just on They talent. had uh, Buck, Williams Buck Williams and, and uh, Albert King. Albert is that right? King, yeah. And you Former just, NBA stars. Just on talent alone, you're going, okay. And Indiana went in and just kicked. I think it was 93-63. They just kicked their butts. And that's when he went, holy crap. And then Indiana had the good fortune, although I don't think it would have mattered. They played the next week. Uh, the regional was in Bloomington. Right. And, and then they went to Philadelphia and beat LSU and then beat North Carolina. Yeah. So it's um, early 80s. I'm going to get the year wrong necessarily. Maybe it's not 82 or 83. I'd have to look it up real quick. And someone walks to your desk and says, get ready. The Colts are moving from Baltimore to Indianapolis. Well, I was actually. Tell me about that day. I was in Seattle covering the final four. And Tom Reitman, who later, he covered the Colts for some time. And he was just another really good sports writer. He called me. Uh, in Seattle, or no, Tom, I, let me correct that. Tom was in Seattle uh, covering the Final Four because he was working for the news at the time. And Tom, we saw each other, and Tom said, I just got a call from Indianapolis. The Colts, they packed up the vans last night, and they're moving. I went, holy crap. You know, we, and there, again, there had been, in, this was folly to build a, a football stadium without a team to play in it. What, what are you guys, again, what are you guys thinking? But Morris and the civic leaders at the time, A, were smart enough to build it as an expansion of the convention center. And uh, serendipity was involved. They put Colts blue seats in there, not knowing that the Colts would ever be the team that (laughs) might. And so they walk Bob Ursay into the stadium. He looks up and he sees all these Colts blue seats and going, you you guys, you built this for me. Um, For those who don't know, the, the, in the early 80s, Indianapolis built a domed stadium without a professional sports team to occupy the first it. NFL, I went, the first NFL game to be played there was the Bears and the Bills. Yes. Uh, and then Notre Dame-Purdue played the first college football game there. But, but what the Dome did, uh, much like Market Square being the catalyst for downtown development, the Dome then made us a player – with the NCAA at a time when the NCAA had just expanded the tournament to 64 teams. There was a fledgling network called ESPN looking (laughs) for programming. And all of a sudden the NCAA basketball tournament, although big to Indiana 
was became a big to America event. And there was Indianapolis with the Dome Stadium. And much like uh, the high school tournament outgrew Hinklefield House and, and moved to Assembly Hall before we built Market Square Arena, the NCAA tournament quickly began to outgrow conventional arenas. And there we were, Dome Stadium attached to a convention center. And so we began to host regionals, and then we hosted the uh, 91 Final Four in Lucas Oil. Well, I started to say, not mm-hmm. Lucas Oil, the, the Hoosier Dome, mm-hmm. which later became the RCA Dome, 97. But we began to build up all these relationships with the NCAA. So in 97, shortly after we had hosted the second Final Four at the RCA Dome, the NCAA said, we're, we're going to look about possibly relocating our headquarters. Um, <clears throat> there were 50-some cities that applied for that. They cut it. They whittled the list to, I believe it was 12. Indianapolis was not on the final list. Really? But, no. But we had, there was a guy who was running the NCAA basketball tournament, Tom Jernstedt. Um, and we had done, again, we had raised the bar for the final four. And everybody admitted that. And what the way we did with the downtown and everything being convenient. And by then, the, the mall was up and going. And uh, Tom Jernstead, I th- said, I think you ought, ought to take a second look at Indianapolis. And so they did. And so then we were among the, quote-unquote, final four, along with Overland Park, Kansas, where the NCAA headquarters were, Denver and Dallas. And because of public-private partnership, we state donated the land and <clears throat> and provided funds to help build the NCAA headquarters in White River State Park and we got the NCAA. Then shortly after we got the NCAA, the NCAA said, in return for your faith and investment in us, we're going to award you a final, a women's Final Four and men's Final Four in the NCAA Annual Convention and major NCAA national champions every year. Until, and I think like a that, rotating basis. On a rotating years. basis, and I think that agreement runs through 19, or 2032. So, and again, investment, faith, do the good when you have an event, treat it like it's the best event ever. Here's a, I tell people this story all, all the time. In 1994, I think it was the Big Ten decided they wanted to have a women's basketball tournament. This is well in advance of the men's basketball tournament. They put out an RFP to all these Midwest cities. Nobody was interested in women's basketball in the mid 90s. Are you kidding me? Except Indianapolis said, you know what? We'll take it. We'll take the Big Ten Women's Tournament, and we'll treat it with the love and the respect and the marketing and the volunteers. We'll throw all of our resources at that like we would if it was a Final Four. Well, <clears throat> shortly thereafter, five years later, uh, the Big Ten started a men's basketball tournament. And then shortly thereafter, when we built Conseco uh, Field House, Banker's Life, downtown, the Big Ten said, you know what? Great relationships. We love their downtown. We know how they do things. Uh, we'll we'll start to rotate between Chicago and, and Indy. And then after they rotated for a number of years, then they said, you know what, we're going to put it one place for five years. Um, I was on the bid committee then because I was working for Visit Indy. We went to Chicago. Chicago presents a bid. Well, why should the Big Ten tournament stay here? Well, we're Chicago. It's yeah. Big Ten headquarters. Yeah. We're Chicago. What about the women's tournament? Well, we're not going to do it at the United Center. We're going to put it out. There's this nice little arena out near O'Hare Airport. <laughs> we'll put it out there. Indianapolis, why, what about the women's tournament? We'll, we'll play it at Banker's Life Fieldhouse or Conseco Fieldhouse. 
We'll treat it like we've always treated it, like it's a big-time event. We'll market it. We'll give you the volunteers. And that day, there were 22 administrators in the room, and 11 of them were women. And they were all nodding their heads, and we were all elbowing each other underneath our seats going, I think we're going to get it. We got it for five years. When the Big Ten started the football championship, they didn't even throw out an RFP. They said, Indy, we know how you do it. You've got a great stadium, Lucas Oil. It's coming there. So it's, it's not only the, the guts to invest in infrastructure, whether it was an auditorium or a world-class track and field stadium or Market Square Arena or the, or the Dome or the Field House, now Lucas Oil, a velodrome, a world-class rowing course at Eagle Creek. The guts to invest in all those things the, the guts to reach out and establish relationships with Big Ten, national governing bodies, the NCAA. Um, it's just, it's, it's all paid off beyond anybody's it, imagination. You, you can't really, and, and I was a kid, right? And then I was in the military, but, but the impact of Bill Hudnut. Oh, on this city is unless you kind of live through it or made it a point to study it, there really is no one. I mean, he was mayor for 16 years and that makes a difference. Right. But right. I mean, boldness was his middle name. He just said, you know, when you, when you're punching above your weight, right. When you, when you're, when you're fighting Orlando and San Antonio and New York or whatever for Atlanta. conventions and stuff yep. like that. Yep. And these events, you just simply have to be and do what Indianapolis is and does and it, it's really remarkable how many people come here because when i worked for mayor ballard you know we'd be out and about and he would hear all the time just how nice everyone is like i'm glad you're here right as opposed to chicago or so, new york or someplace like always, why are you here i always say i always say chicago throws its arm around events we hug it we hug them when they're here um here's another example i love this there, uh, for the 2021 NBA All-Star Game, I think there were 14 NBA cities interested. On the day the bids were due, 13 of those cities FedExed their bid materials. And one of them had Larry Bird drive an NBA All-Star-themed IndyCar down five blocks of Madison <laughs> Avenue and hand the bid to Commissioner Adam Silver. So that's how Indianapolis rolls. That's, that's exactly that's right. That's a great example of how Indy rolls. That's exactly right. Um, and we'll do it. And we, when, when we have the NBA All-Star okay. game, mm-hmm. we'll knock it out of the park. And when we have... so The uh, college the, football national championship. Football, you, so you know, people say, well, what's next? After we did the Super Bowl and then we had the Final Four, and the men's and women's Final Four, well, you know, what's next? Well, here's what's next. We're going to have the NBA All-Star game. We're going to have another men's Final Four within two months of each other. And then six months, seven months after that, we'll have the uh, college football championship game. That's that's pretty. Amazing. And that's someone I'd like to have on on the Leaders and Legends podcast is Ryan Vaughn, who is yep. singular a singular talent. Yep. What I was I was going to ask you a question. I'm trying to figure out how to phrase it, but I'll just go out and say it. What was it like watching Butler in those national championship games as someone who's been involved in sports for decades here in this city to imagine that they're playing those two games, one of them right down the street. Yep. Well, I, fortunately, I were was you work- rooting? Uh, yes, I was working for the Horizon League. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, rooting, rooting big time. In fact, I sat with John Lacrone, uh, and we were commissioner of the Horizon, commissioner League. of the Horizon League, and and watched Butler. You know that the thing I got had the opportunity to watch Butler, 
And you knew that that kid, coach, seemingly kid, Brad Stevens, was something special. I never seen a team score off of more inbounds plays after timeouts than Butler. He still does it with the Celtics. <laughs> uh, and so that that Butler team was was incredibly special. But even more so was the one the next year went back to the Final Four after it had become Butler and mm-hmm. built up expectations and ended up in the championship uh, game again. I mean, that team was less talented uh, overall than the one that went to the Final Four in 2010. So, yes, did I root? Heck, yeah. It was a, that, that, those, two, those teams epitomized college athletes. They went to class the day of the championship <laughs> game. They went to class <laughs> when it was here in Indy. They went to class. Wow. It's pretty cool. And it, and it has become a phenomenon, along with raising Butler basketball ticket prices <laughs> exponentially. Well, as a, and again, working with the Horizon League, you know, then shortly thereafter, they they leave for the Atlantic Ten and then end up in the Big East. And I'm good for them. I'm happy. For, oh, sure. for Butler, but that was that was a blow to our to our league. Going back a little bit, we touched on it. What was it like when you were like, we have a professional football team? Because you know, at your age, you remember Unitas and you remember yeah. March, you know, Marchetti and and Raymond Barry and the Colts, and they won Super Bowl Super Bowl five, I believe. And the Baltimore Colts are now going to be here playing professional football in Indianapolis. Just what was it like covering them? Maybe in the early years because they weren't very good, and then they kind of the, the the big news they made a couple years later was they swung the trade for Dickerson, and that was kind of a bit of a game changer. Yeah. And then, well, to be candid with you, I did not cover them. Much. Uh, we had John. Just the thought from a sports. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, again, question. it was, uh, it was another, un, yet another sea change for Indy. I, yeah, as much, and again, I'm as Pacers, uh, hell, I got the Pacer <laughs> shirt on. Uh, and I have an, a, as great an appreciation for the Pacers and their impact on the city of Indianapolis uh, as much as anybody. But getting an NFL team, uh, that was, that says to the world, we're, we've arrived. You're you're really big time. So in the NFL, in the early '80s, was was clearly yeah, a it, significant uh, entity, but it was probably behind baseball at the time in yes, terms of just ahead overall of the, ahead of the NBA. That's right, certainly ahead of the NBA. Yeah, and now and I mean, the, football is just. I mean, the NFL is just. You know, it's the big gorilla. It just runs over everything. Right. Yeah. But it was. Uh, I mean, it was. It, it said to the world, you know. We we've arrived and we're here to stay, but not any different than you know. Again, the the ongoing longevity of the Pacers, getting the Pan Am Games, the Sports Festival, the NGBs, the World Championships that we had, the NCAA relocation, all the all of that is part and parcel of that over that overarching strategy. That's again incredible. Did. As, as you got older, and you mentioned, and then last question before we go to the final segment is, sports journalism in general, is it better, worse, no, the same? I, well, again, I don't want to sound like the old get off my lung <laughs> guy, but that I, was going to be the original name of this podcast. Yeah, get I, off my lawn. Podcast. I am. I am so glad. Uh, in retrospect, um, there were a number of circumstances that led to my departure in 2001, my voluntary departure. I didn't get kicked out the door, but things were changing and my attitude and my, my kids were growing up and I'd been gone enough. 
But um, what I didn't foresee in 2001 was how social media would impact sports journalism. And so I tell people that back in the day, I actually, even if you're on deadline, at least you let the game end before you passed any judgments, good or bad, mm-hmm. harsh or praiseworthy or whatever. You had chance to, at least a little chance to put things in some kind of context and perspective. Today, if Andrew Luck throws an interception, a bad interception like he did this last week, and you're going, Andrew Luck, you idiot, what were you thinking? Who were you throwing to? And you're, you're posting it on social media. And you, people like me are checking Twitter every yeah, 30 yeah, seconds. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the snap judgment world today that, that social media has created, the drive to get hits, um, I'm glad. I, I'm really, really glad I'm not part of that. And I think it has changed sports journalism and, and not for the better. And the lack of the lack of institutional knowledge that media outlets, not just in Indianapolis but around the country, have let go. And we just had an example recently with the local paper letting three guys go and have go way back with incredible institutional knowledge. Um, that's that's too bad. The final segment in every uh, Leaders and Legend podcast, and we're here with Bill Benner is called The Five Questions, which is stolen a little bit from Mr. Lipton, but not exactly the same questions. So, you ready? Yep. What was the name of your first car? Uh, the actual call? It- first car you ever owned. Oh, the first car I ever owned was a Triumph Spitfire. That's pretty sassy. First one I ever owned. And I drove the crap out of it. <laughs> it was not. It was not ready for to be a muscle car. And I did treated you. It did like you one. have a name for it, like you do for your red Corvette? I did not have a name for it. No. <laughs> and we didn't. And then get- thereafter, I had a beautiful powder blue Mustang convertible. Oh man. <laughs> We didn't get to this part of of your life and and I, I wish we had more time or maybe we can do a part two, but uh, Bill Benner is an, a dedicated, enthusiastic live music fan. Yeah. How many times have you seen the Moody Blues? Uh, 39. And I'm, I'm afraid the number is in holding because they are kind of, well, they're old. I mean, (laughs) Graham Ed's the drummer, I think is 75 or 76. John Lodge, the bassist, is 70 or 71. Justin Hayward, their lead vocalist, is 71, 72. They're old. Lodge and uh, and uh, Justin Hayward are still touring individually. I don't know whether they're going to get back together as a group or not. Last time I saw them was a year ago summer in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, so I love the Moody Blues. So the so the question the question is, what was the first concert? Oh, uh, Fairgrounds. You've ever been to? First Fairgrounds Coliseum. I think it was 1965, and it was Herman's Hermits and the Hollies. <laughs> yeah. Now, I also saw, shortly thereafter, I saw Jerry Lee Lewis at the Whiteland Barn. The Whiteland Barn used to get these. The Whiteland Barn? The Whiteland Barn used to get these incredible acts. And I saw Jerry Lee Lewis with the fifth of bourbon up on the piano and just <laughs> banging away. And his 11-year-old wife? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> what? Let um, me just say they didn't card her on the way They in. did not. Exactly. No. I get it. Uh, if you could recommend any book to someone, book that you've read, which book would you recommend? Oh, man. The Bible. The Bible. Yeah. 
Easy answer, huh? It is an easy answer, yeah. but it doesn't mean that it's not the Maybe right answer. Maybe not what you were thinking of. But. Nope, I'm surprised that we've only had this so, okay. Is, we've only had a few so, more before. Uh, I was always a huge. I was always a huge fan of Dan Jenkins, uh, who's sports writer for sports, sports, writer, sports Illustrated. Illustrated, and highly irreverent. And he he wrote this book, and it would it, it wouldn't play today because it the language in it is absolutely unacceptable in today's culture. But he wrote a book called Semi Tough. That uh, did it become a movie? It became a movie, and they did a crap job with the movie. They just <laughs> they made a they just did a crap job with the movie. But I always love the irreverence in semi tough, dead solid, perfect was another one of his his books. I I I grew up reading the Chip Hilton Clarabee Sports. Uh, you know, if you got a kid today, I, I put a Chip Hilton Clarabee book in front of them. If you could witness any event in history which would you choose oh man any event any, any event, time period any event in any time well I, could, I couldn't be on the moon with armstrong and could i would that that that, that wouldn't work it would have to be something that i could actually witness right any event I don't know. I don't. It's, it, you can answer it any way you like. I mean, if you say I'd like to be in the room for the surrender of Appomattox, it doesn't mean you're participating. It just means you're in the room. So if you want to be in the lunar module, looking out, going, "Hey guys," I would have loved to have been at Gettysburg for the Gettysburg Address. It's November nineteenth, eighteen sixty-three, and um, I would have loved to have been here for VJ Day. That's what uh, Ballard be here. Ballard, uh, Mayor, former You've Mayor been Greg in Ballard, Indianapolis for VJ Day. Mm, former Mayor Greg Ballard. Uh, when I asked him that question, he wanted to be on the USS Missouri for the signing oh, ceremony. That's a good one. Surrender. Um, if you could have dinner with anyone in the world right now, who would you choose? George Bush. George Bush. George W. George W. Bush. Yeah. Why him? You know, I'm. I I admire the guy. Uh, I'd like to talk to, I'd like to, to talk to George Bush and, and talk to him about nine 11. Uh, I think that would be a fascinating, incredibly fascinating conversation to have. And I know he's spoken publicly about it many times, but I'd love to have lunch with George Bush and just ask him about that day in the aftermath. Is that, is that who Kittle, Jim Kittle said? I can't remember, but, but I, I, He's in a, George W. Bush is a tremendous history buff as well. It'd be hard. Or maybe I said that when I was asked that question by somebody. I went to um, the 9-11 memorial this past February. Um, it makes you proud. It makes you pissed off. It makes you uh, love America. Uh, it, is, uh, it, may, it makes you cry. It makes you inspired. And, uh, again, the role that he played in that, um, I'd love to sit down and have lunch with him and talk. And he has absolutely, without a doubt, number one, the best ceremonial first pitch in the history yes. of baseball. Have yes. you ever seen it? Yes. The one at Yankee Stadium yeah. right after 9-11 right after where he 9/11. throws that strike throws from, from the rubber, not from the yeah. base of the mound, from but from the, the rubber. rubber. We uh, are very grateful for you for joining us, listening to Bill Benner. It's been a terrific time. You are a dear friend, yes. I cannot say how much I love you and enjoy here, your buddy. presence and your friendship. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, 
please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com. Thank you.